Hey, have you had the chance to check out C.L. Whiteside's The Non-Microwave Truth? I know I've told you about it before, but if you haven't checked it out yet, now is the time. He's got this genuine faith that encourages me every time I listen to him to check out The Non-Microwave Truth anywhere you listen to podcasts. I am super excited for today's episode. It's maybe not what you want to hear, but I think like me, maybe it's what you need to hear. It's called Make the U-Turn. Hey guys, it's Amber, wife, mother, warrior, type A child of God. Here at Little Things, we examine everyday issues from a biblical perspective with one simple goal, to know and love God more. Thanks for joining me. I have to give a shout out to my colleague, C.L. Whiteside. He records the podcast, The Non-Microwave Truth. And I was listening to one of his recent episodes. If you're listening to this, um, go back to June of 2022 and listen to his episode titled, Mention This Sin. He calls sin what it is in this episode. And, you know, I think we have learned to sugarcoat sin. So... We don't always address it. We sort of say, you know, and this is what CL said in his podcast. He said, you know, a lot of times we're like, oh, yeah, I made a mistake. Well, you know, he compared it to making a mistake is like missing the three-point shot, right? But, you know, when you sin, you sin. And it really started me thinking. I was, on, I was listening to this on the way to work. And the entire shift while I was at work, I was just trying to recognize the sins that came up throughout the day. And I thought, man, CL, I think you're right in terms of we are really good. And I'm talking, I'm talking to Christians now. We are really good at just being like, hey, you know, I'm a pretty good person. So I don't really have to worry about my sin because I'm pretty good. I'm not like that person. And that's a really, really bad, you know, groove to get into for a couple of different reasons. And we're going to go there. But first, I want to talk about... I know I'm kind of all over the place for just a minute, but the episode before mentioned this in CL had interviewed Pastor Mike about his book, What's Big Start Small. And Pastor Mike asked CL what one book was that had really kind of changed him. And CL mentioned Tim Keller's Prodigal God. And it brought me right back here. After I listened to the episode mentioned the sin, I went right back to Prodigal God because I studied that book in a Bible study when that book first came out. And here's the gist of it. So Tim Keller, Pastor Tim Keller, wrote that book and he brought out something that I think a lot of us have not often thought about. And that is that in the parable of the prodigal son, there were two sons who were going astray. We tend to focus on the one whose sin was just like blatant and glaring and right out there. And he, you know, left the father and he lived this sinful life. But you know what? When he came back, all he was after was a relationship. He didn't care what he could get from the relationship. He just wanted forgiveness and a relationship. Meanwhile, the older son had this sense of entitlement and self-righteousness. Like, you know, I'm pretty good. 
Like I haven't done some of these things that that guy did. I'm pretty good and I deserve a goat and I deserve a party and where's my stuff and what have you ever done for me? That's not a person who is seeking a relationship. That is a person who is checking the boxes and thinking they're good enough to earn their way to heaven. And both sons were lost. And we've neglected to really study and think about that older son so often. So here's your chance right now. <laughs> Go listen to Seal's um, podcast, but also check out Tim Keller's book. And here we go. We're going to talk today about maybe it's time that we, the body of Christ, need to make some U-turns in our life. So that older son in the sense of entitlement, I have to admit, kind of with embarrassment, that when I was studying the prodigal God in this group of faithful Christians at a church nearby, I was like, guys, I have to say I think the older brother has a point, like he was doing the right thing all along. And, you know, what did he get for what he was doing? Oh, man. Yeah, like I said, I'm ashamed and embarrassed that I was there now. But I want to just talk a little bit about how we can get into this mentality. Like, you know, I've been going to church. I haven't cheated on my spouse. I haven't robbed a bank. I haven't, you know been um, disobedient or unlawful. I'm a pretty good citizen. I'm a good neighbor. I'm pretty good. But have you ever noticed how in conversation so often when things aren't going the way that we want them to go, we blame God? Like, well, I don't know why God hasn't done this for me. Or I guess God doesn't want me to be, you know, healthy because I've gotten one thing after another. Or I guess God just isn't really listening to my prayers right now. You know, a lot of times I think we blame God, A, for the things that we get into ourselves in terms of, you know, you can spend and spend and spend and spend your money, right? Like you spend every bit of your paycheck and then you're like, well, I guess God doesn't want me to get rich because I never have enough money to put any away. Mm, is that the case? Is that, is that God's fault or is that your deal? So we sometimes do that. You know, the Bible says the race is not to the swift or the strong, but time and circumstance, like things happen to all of us as in it's not God's fault when things aren't going perfectly here on earth, because Jesus said, look, in this world, you're going to have trouble. He never said this world is the perfect place that you, you know, everything will go well and things will be exactly as you want it to be. He is like, this is the place where there's going to be trouble. But don't worry, because my father is preparing a place for you in heaven. And that's where we're going to get our eternal rest, right? So we can blame God for the sinful things that come into our world and into our lives when it's, that's not God's fault. We're the ones who fell into sin. And we can also blame God for not blessing us when we even forget to ask him for anything. 
I was listening to Dr. Bruce Beckard's Bibles threads um, recently. He did a true crime series. And on the in the episode with David, he reminded me of what God told David through the prophet Nathan. So David had committed adultery, and then he found out that Bathsheba was pregnant. And so he tried to trick Uriah into sleeping with his wife. And when he couldn't do that, and so he he knew it was going to come out like this, this woman's going to be pregnant and people knew that he had slept with her. He killed Uriah and took Bathsheba to be his wife. So he tried to do this cover up thing so that no one would really know in his estimation what had happened behind the scenes. Well, Nathan, the prophet came to talk to David and to convince him and convict him of his sin. And when he did, He said this, that the Lord God said to David, I gave your master's house to you and your master's wives into your arms. I gave you all Israel Israel and Judah. And if all of this had been too little, I would have given you even more. God said to David, look, I gave you the throne. I gave you Israel. I gave you Judah. If you wanted more, all you had to do is ask. The young son in the parable of the prodigal son went to his father and said, hey, I want this. But the older son never said anything. He didn't ask for a goat or a party that we knew of, but he was bitter when his dad didn't give it to him. James 4 verse 2 says this, you do not have because you do not ask God. Have you ever noticed how easy it is? to harbor bitterness at God. Like, hey, why aren't you blessing me with this? Or why does that person get this? And I don't. When you haven't even talked to God about it. I had something pretty significant on my heart at the beginning of the year. It's a need that I saw in our family. And I say need in quotes, as in a first world need. You know, most of our needs are not really needs. We might not, you know, quote unquote, need a second car, but in this season of life, it would sure help. Or we don't really need to redo the super outdated bathroom, but let's face it, the faucet's leaking. And instead of just replacing the faucet, it would be nice if we could, you know, redo what is super old and outdated. So we don't need a lot of the things that we think we do, but nonetheless, I saw a need in our family and I gave it to God and God opened the floodgates as in he gave me this position to work and hours to work, to earn the money, to do what I was asking to have the money to do. And that's just my way of saying, how often don't you blame God because you don't have what you've never asked for? Or you ask once and you're like, God, um, can you please do this for me? And if it's not answered immediately in the way that you think is best, you're just like, well, that's just like God. He doesn't answer my prayers. It's easy to fall into that trap. And it's also super easy to fall into the trap of thinking that we deserve to get what we ever, whatever we ask of God, because let's face it, we go to church. We're his people. He is our heavenly father. He is dad. He likes to give us good gifts. So if I ask for it, 
Shouldn't I get it? That's this sense of entitlement. And I want to bring you back to this parable, the parable of the laborers in the vineyard, which appears in Matthew chapter 20. This landowner went out early in the morning and he hired workers to work in his field and he agreed to give them a denarius. And he went back to the marketplace at nine in the morning, at noon, at three, and finally at five. And he hired more workers. And when evening came, he paid the workers. Those who worked just an hour got a denarius. And those who worked all day got a denarius. And they started grumbling. Because they were out in the field all day. While some people only worked an hour and look, those people who only worked an hour, they got paid the exact same as the people who worked all day. And the landowner reminded them of the terms that they agreed to. In the morning, they agreed to work for denarius. It was his money and he could do whatever he wanted with his money. And that's the issue with entitlement. If we feel like, hey, I go to church and I read my Bible and I pray, so, you know, God should give me whatever I want, then we're kind of setting ourselves up as equal to God. I know what's best. Give me what I want. That's a spoiled child, right? God is so much bigger than we are. We see such a small portion of the big picture. And when we ask, man, if we have a relationship with our Heavenly Father and not just see him as our genie who is there to give us everything that we think we need, if we have a relationship, our prayers are going to sound totally different. They're going to sound more like, God, you know what? I know you have been so good to me. You have given me way more than I deserve. I know I don't deserve anything from you, but there's something on my heart and you tell me to bring my needs to you. So I'm going to bring this to you. And even if you don't think it's good for me, I'm still going to honor you. I'm still going to praise you because I love you. I just love being called your child, but I'm going to bring this need to you. And if it's fitting and if it's the right time, and if you see this as good, I would be honored if you'd bless me with it. Thank you for listening. Whatever you want to do, your will be done. I'm just happy to be part of your family. I'm just happy to be your child. That's a totally different heart than that entitled heart that's like, hey, I've done this. I deserve this. That's really not a heart that sees God for who he is, your heavenly father who has already blessed you and taken care of you and taking care of the most important thing, which is your salvation. Whatever else is icing on the cake, this world is going to be, you know, full of trouble and fraught with all kinds of things that we have to get through and sorrows and trials and we're going to have to persevere, but he's with us and he helps us. And he loves us. So it's a much different feeling when you go to God and you're like, hey, you know what? I I know just like the younger son, I know I don't deserve anything, but you know, this is where I'm at. 
versus that entitlement. So all of this is just a long way of saying, guys, I think sometimes it's good for us to take a hard look at our life and see where we could do better and where we could make the U-turn, not to earn God's favor, not because we're better Christians if we do things a different way, but because we could steward better, because we could represent God better in our society. And I just want to point out a couple of things after I listened to CL's podcast that came to my mind that the church at large sort of sweeps under the rug and doesn't necessarily address and certainly doesn't hold each other accountable very well. First of all, overconsumption. Overconsumption of food, beverages, material goods. I am left asking, are we ever content? If you talk to anybody for very long, ask them, you know, just a few simple questions. What are you doing this summer? Or what are you doing this fall? Or what's on your agenda? What are you working for? What's really on your heart? A lot of times you'll see that people are working for some earthly thing. Oh, you know, we're going on a vacation. Oh, we're going to buy this. Oh, we're going to spend more time at the lake. Oh, you know, we've been doing this. We've been meeting people for cocktails. We've been whatever. And, you know, God gives us all these blessings. They're, they're wonderful blessings. In the book of Ecclesiastes, you know, Solomon, who is the wisest man who has ever lived, he found at the end of looking at everything, it is good for us to eat and drink and find enjoyment in our life. This is what we can do while we are here. But he also talks about, hey, remembering your creator. And so the question is, when have you said, hey, you know what? We're not going to buy that new thing. We, you know, yeah, our towels are getting kind of faded. They're getting a little worn. But instead of spending that $200 on new towels, I'm going to give it to that pregnancy resource center. Or I'm going to give that money to the missions because you know what? I, the towels don't have any holes in them. We can use them another year, clearly. Or, you know, I don't have to eat another piece of dessert. I don't have to eat the whole bag of chips. I don't have to sit and watch a movie and consume snacks. I don't even have to buy those snacks. If I didn't buy those snacks, I could save $50 at the grocery store. And if I put those $50 towards something that really mattered, maybe helping a neighbor down the street who has come into some financial trouble, or giving it to the Christian radio station, or whatever... When is the last time you've actually challenged yourself in that way? I was reading the Voice of the Martyrs magazine. I love to read it when it comes because it gets me out of this whole first world ideology. And there was a pastor and he said, I so often get involved in what I'm doing, so involved in what I'm doing that I forget to eat. And people come to me and say, you have to stop, you have to eat. And I'm telling you, I have never had that happen. Not ever. (laughs) I can't think of even one time that someone has said, Amber, you're working really, really hard. Have you eaten anything today? Because I'm pretty up on eating. The second I feel a little twinge of hunger, I'm like, hmm, 
I think it's time to go get something to eat. And it really challenged me. What are my priorities? Where does food fit into the whole scheme of things in my life? I've mentioned this before, so I'm just going to very briefly say, look, in 2020, I decided I did not need to buy things. When we started going through our house and we had so much, we had so much abundance. We were storing things. Our closets were full. There was, you know, stuff everywhere. And we really worked hard to whittle our belongings down to a manageable amount. And since then, I have just been extremely careful to not bring more stuff into our house. In fact, I'm, I really want to whittle down even more because I've even found the things that we save. So many of the things that I was like, "Ah, I don't know, I'm not quite ready to get rid of them yet. Two years later, I can say I'm ready to get rid of them because I haven't used them in two years. I'm doing that even more, even more in my yard, my landscaping. After reading Pastor Mike's book, What's Big Start Small, I realized that my yard still takes too much of my time. I don't want to spend my life in my yard. I love working outside. I love gardening, but I don't want to be doing it constantly. I have too many more important things to be doing. And so I really have to work hard to to say to myself, look, you don't need this. Is this really helping you to be the Christian that you want to be, the follower of Christ? Is this helping you to be the ambassador that you want to be? Is this allowing you to have the amount of time that you need to do the things you want to do? Or is this a hindrance to you? And right now, you could be saying, hey, hold on a second, Amber. I think maybe you're mincing words, you're splitting hairs a little bit. You know, it's not always a sin to spend all that we have on ourselves. Okay, I want to talk to you about that. Because in Matthew 25, where the man entrusted his servants with his wealth, and one man received one bag. And what did he do? He hid it. So there was other men who had received more, and they put it to work. But the man who received one bag of gold, he hid it. And you know what his master said to him when he returned? You wicked, lazy servant. Think about that. Or think about Luke 12, 16 to 21, the parable of the rich man whose crop yielded a great harvest. What did he do? He said he was going to store all he had so he could live a life of luxury. All he was going to do is eat, drink, and be merry. And what did Jesus call him? A fool for not being rich towards God. We've been entrusted with our bodies, with our money, with our abilities. For what reason? Well, hopefully to put what we have into practice and to work in God's kingdom, to be the hands and feet of God on earth. So it's worth saying, and it's worth looking and checking and going, hey, am I using what I have for God's glory? Or have I bought into this overconsumption? Am I eating so much that, you know, I don't feel energetic throughout the day? I only get a portion done of what I could be getting done because I'm overeating or I'm over drinking or whatever. All right, let's move on. Let's talk about language. You know, it used to be that my husband 
and I, we avoided R-rated movies for many reasons because of the sex, the violence, and the language. But we have noticed that even the movies and the, you know, uh, TV shows and all those things that aren't rated R, the language has just seeped through. And now, you know, it's the, the language is pretty bad anytime you're watching anything. There's cursing, there's raunchy language. You know, if we're not careful, man, we can easily sound like everybody else. I started working in the secular workplace again back in October. And I have to say, I have heard so much cursing. And every now and then when something happens, I may not say it, but that curse word goes through my mind. And after listening to CL's podcast, I was like, I was at work and that happened. And I was like, God help me because I don't want to think this. I might not be saying it. Nobody may know (laughs) what's going through my mind, but it's there because I've heard it so much and we need to guard ourselves from that. James 3.10 says, out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Okay, we're moving on again. Gossip. Oh man, the body of Christ has a problem with this. Not everybody, but a whole lot of us. You know, as long as it's true, we feel like it's okay to say it, right? One of the things that helped me back when I was uh, teaching the book of Matthew, so it must have been in 2019, I believe, there was a woman, my pastor's wife actually, who said one of the things that keeps her from telling things she shouldn't tell is she asks herself if this is her news to tell. So for instance, if she knows that someone is pregnant and that person's name comes up, she could be like, hey, yeah, by the way, they're pregnant, they're doing whatever. But as she thinks about it, she thinks, well, wait a second, whose news is that to tell? And if it's not her news to tell, then she doesn't tell it. And that has helped me so much. Is it your story to tell? Is it your news? If it's not your news, should you be telling it? There are times that it's totally okay to tell. There are times that it's, you know, your daughter who's pregnant or engaged or whatever, and you're getting together with friends and that's totally different. That is your news to tell. And there are times when, you know, you have um, a chance to give an example and you can use somebody's story without using their name and you can, and that's different altogether. But I've been in so many situations where we do not have a tight rein on our mouths and we are very quick to tell about other people and what's going on and what's behind the scenes. And we may be shedding a less than good light on other people. We might be blaming people. We might not even know the whole story. And we may be you know, just doing a little bit of assuming, but it, it makes for good news and good conversation, right? Mm, no, there's a lot to say about gossip in the book of Proverbs. I'm going to move along because we have a lot to cover. Um, lies. You might say, I don't lie. I, I really, you know, work hard to tell the truth. Well, do you exaggerate at all? Do you leave out facts? 
I have found that to be kind of an issue, um, especially, I don't know if I should even say it, but I'm going to say it, especially since 2020, you know, man, fear and invoking fear in people and repeating facts and making it sound like it's the worst thing in the world. It's a form of lying. It really is. When you exaggerate things, when you um, just spread misinformation or don't give all the facts, only the facts that help your cause, that's a form of lying. And why is that a problem? You know who loves it when you lie? Yeah, Satan. Jesus said this in John eight forty four. He said, Satan was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. When this really became apparent to me, the time that I finally understood this for the first time was when I went to Vietnam. I was on a plane from LA to Taipei, Taiwan, and our group was some of or possibly the only native English speakers. So when they gave announcements on the plane, they gave them first in Chinese and then in English. And for the first time in my life, I was not a native speaker. Then when we did get to Vietnam, man, talk about being completely out of our comfort zone and not hearing English except for in our group. And when we did hear English from other tourists that we came across, let me tell you, we were immediately attracted to them. Like they are speaking our native language. We have to go say hi. We have to go be like, hey, you're here too. It's so good to hear English. That's how Satan feels when he hears a lie. It's like he's hearing his native language and he just wants to come high five you. Absolutely, my brother, my sister, you are speaking my language. The body of Christ should be so in tune to the truth. We are the bearers of the truth. We know the truth. That's why it's so important that we have a reputation for telling the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Grumbling. This is one that hit me when I was working that day after I had just listened to CL's podcast. Isn't it easy to complain? Man, you can feel so blessed to have your job. You can be thanking God for your hours at work and for your coworkers. And two minutes later, you can be grumbling about something that happened. The Apostle Paul wrote in his letters to the Philippians chapter 2, do everything without grumbling or arguing, arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Man, that's convicting. Do everything without grumbling. Why? Because God's in control. He sees you. He knows what you're going through. He knows when you're, it's hard. He renews your strength. Like if we are going to be telling people that God's in control and that we trust God and he's got this situation under 
under control, that this is nothing out of the ordinary and we can expect to suffer. Why do we complain as soon as something goes wrong? That might be something that we need to work on. And I mean, I could go on and on and on because these things didn't stop. Like not setting good marital boundaries and becoming emotionally attached to people of the opposite sex. So easy to do. So easy to fall into. All I can say is this. Since listening to that podcast, I have been really examining my life. And I've been repenting. And I've been asking for the strength to do better, to represent God way better than I have, to steward well, to do what would honor and glorify God. And it's just been a wake-up call. And I have to tell you, I am not doing this podcast to bum you out at all. I am doing this to come alongside you in this race I'm pulling up next to you and I'm huffing and puffing with you. And I'm going, guys, I think we can do better. And all I'm doing is repeating what the writer of Hebrews said. He said, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. I don't want to be bogged down and I don't want to do less than I could. Pastor Mike's book, What's Big Start Small? How much fruit do you want to bear? Do you want to go on to bear 30 times what was sown? 60 times? Listen, if you and I want to bear 100 times what was sown, we got to throw off this sin that's wrapped around our ankles. We can't run as well as we ought to, if we're going to be weighed down by the sin all around us. So it's time to cut the chains. If we've been running in the wrong direction and just embracing everything that comes as it comes and being okay with it and not dealing with it, it's time to make the U-turn. It's time to run this race. This has been Little Things because in God's kingdom, the little things are the big things. Thanks for listening again this week. And don't forget, we're here for you. Check out the many resources we have to help you on your faith journey. Just go to timeofgrace.org to sign up for our daily email that will keep you in the loop with all that we have available.